The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. This is his house, and he's proved it again. Uh, dream big. Dare to dream, because everything is possible. Don't let anybody take away the dream. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter where you're coming from. Um, I actually think that the more disadvantaged childhood you have, uh, the more difficulties and more challenges you have, the stronger you become. So Stefanos and I are the proof of that. Don't really let anybody take away that dream from you. Uh, nurture it, water it like you water the flowers. Even if you find only one person in this world that will, that will accept, embrace and support your dreams, find that person and dream big because you can make it. Um, I just have to say this because only the team and the family knows uh, what we've been through in the last four or five weeks. And uh, this probably is the, I would say, biggest victory in my life considering the circumstances. What a story and good for him. He stood, he stood against science, falsely so-called, as the Apostle Paul said. He stood up to Fauci and all those like him. And he was even in detention. The Australian government held him in detention because of the COVID madness, because of the vaccine madness. And he couldn't even go. He couldn't even play last year. He watched helplessly, as the commentator said there. And now at 35, he wins his 30, he, he wins his 10th, I should say, his 10th Australian Open, and I think, it's, uh, I think it's 22 as far as the Grand Slams are concerned. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us, our growing audience. You can get to the live video stream of this show at the website, thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live, and you can watch it live at 11 a.m. in the central time zone of the United States or at uh, 9 a.m. in Portland or 5 p.m. at Edstone. 6 p.m. if you're in the Netherlands, and 7 p.m. if you're in Israel. I'm going to do the math for Australia and New Zealand tomorrow so that you know when the live presentation is. Of course, you can watch it on demand. If you go to our website as well, you can have these programs downloaded to your device 
as well. So there was Novak Djokovic, the Joker, as they call him. And how can you not root for him? How I mean, this shows what standing up for your principles, making a courageous stand, this shows that in the end, it, it's going to be blessed. You see so many examples of that in Scripture. I'm not necessarily saying God is involved in sports, but he does observe what's happening in, on, this, you know, on this planet. And, and there is cause and effect. And, and as I say, he, he makes a principled stand, and in the end, he comes away victorious. The, the, he had the whole world against him just a year ago. He had the Australian government standing against him, harassing him, persecuting him, locking him up even, detaining him. This is from Julie Kelly. She tweeted, He just showed the world how to stand by your beliefs in the defense of freedom and liberty, even if it means making steep personal and professional sacrifices, and how you can still come out on top. What a story. What a story it is. And all those majors last year that he had to miss, including the millions of dollars that would go with it. And then you start seeing all of these athletes, including in tennis, pulling out of tournaments because of uh, heart inflammation, because of myocarditis, or collapsing on the field, as in the case of DeMar Hamlin just a few weeks ago. I wonder what some of those athletes are thinking, particularly when you look at studies that, that show these vaccines cause, or have been known to cause, these heart problems. This is uh, from... Yale Medicine. It says the CDC's Advisor Committee on Immunization Practices said that there's a likely association between the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines and reported cases of heart inflammation. It says the inflammation may occur in the heart muscle, myocarditis, or in the outer lining of the heart, pericarditis. This is from NBC. A study by Canadian researchers published Monday in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology found that men younger than 40 who get the Moderna vaccine had the highest risk of heart issues, usually within 21 days after the second dose. So all these studies that are linking it, the vaccine that is, Pfizer, Moderna, to these heart problems, heart disease, heart inflammation, myocarditis, and then you see these athletes collapsing on the field with, with chest pains. Novak was right. He stood for principle. He stood up for his beliefs. And even at 35, he comes away with a Grand Slam victory. This is from the Daily Declaration. We've talked about this before, the number of excess deaths spiking all across the Western world. Spiking, as it says here, simultaneously in 30 Western nations... At least 30 Western nations are experiencing a coincidental, coincidental spike in excess deaths years after the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic. It says examples of the national data in question have been circulating for months on social media. This week, up-to-date statistics were collated and summarized by COVID commentator Dr. John Campbell. It says further on, Australia, the United States, the United Kingdom, Canada, and New Zealand all the Israelite nations, we're killing ourselves. That's right. Canada, 
New Zealand, as well as 25 European countries or subnational regions, all have rising excess mortality rates or mortality data showing hundreds of thousands of collective excess deaths during the latter half of 2022. Just the latter half of this past year. I mean, in other words, it's happening right now. It says here, I think we are in somewhat of an international emergency, the usually understated Campbell tells viewers in his most recent video. We're at an international emergency level. All of these excess deaths, and it's, ru it's running right across the board as far as Western nations are concerned, with the U.S., Canada, U.K., Australia, New Zealand leading the way. This uh, MSNBC commentator, her name is... Uh, what is it, Yasmin Vesuvian, she missed quite a lot of time. She's a news anchor. She, news, quote unquote, She's, uh, she, she missed quite a lot of time in December and January and then recently returned to her post and explained uh, what has been going on in her life over the past uh, six or eight weeks. Listen to her testimonial, clip 10. I know from my Twitter feed uh, that many of you have wondered why I have been off the air for a little while. Well, I have been dealing with a little bit of a health scare. On December 20th, I began to feel chest pains and they waxed and waned over a period of 10 days. I wasn't quite sure uh, what to make of it, but as they continued to get worse, I started to think something was actually wrong. Um, it was December 30th when I finally went to an urgent care and was told I had reflux. The next day on December 30th, I woke up with severe pains both in my chest and in my left shoulder, and it was like a tightening in my chest when I took deep breaths. That got worse when I was laying flat. I knew enough at that moment to understand that it could mean, could is the key word here, that I was having a heart attack, especially because it was happening in the left part of my shoulder. I want to remind you, I run seven miles three to four times a week, or I did. Um, I do yoga. I don't eat meat. I don't smoke. My husband drove me to the emergency room, and from there, the nightmare that has been my January began. I was diagnosed with pericarditis, inflammation of the lining of my heart, brought on by a virus, a literal common cold. I also had fluid around my heart that had to be drained or else it could hinder the beating of my heart. I was hospitalized for four nights and transferred from a local hospital to NYU Langone here in New York City. Three days later, I was readmitted when I felt a flutter in my heart, like a butterfly. It was inside my chest. They determined I had developed myocarditis, inflammation of the actual heart now, the heart muscle happening. And in fact, in the end, it was still just the cold that was doing all of this, that had caused all of this inflammation in and around my heart. Can, can you believe these people? They, even when they face a near-death experience, they still get up in front of the camera and parrot the party line, the talking points, because the common cold causing heart inflammation is much more plausible than the vaccine. When the CDC itself says it, it says that the vaccine is connected to myocarditis and pericarditis, and yet that's not even considered. This woman brought her cardiologist on, and here's a doctor getting on TV saying that, yeah, it was the common cold that's causing your heart to fail, that's causing the heart disease. Who's ever even heard of that? Now, I guess that'll be, that'll just be one of the causes, you know, that and the lockdown and some of these other causes. But don't dare mention 
the vaccine, even when the CDC itself says that the rise in myocarditis has, in fact, been brought on by these these vaccines, by these drugs. So what, what she's there saying, we're supposed to believe that that's completely normal. But Djokovic, how dare he not take the drug? How dare he not inject that poison into his body? He's to be banned one tournament after another. We'll see what happens with the U.S. Open later this summer. Can he get into the United States? The whole world's going to be pulling for this man to pass Nadal. I guess they're tied now with Grand Slam victories. But the governments, you know, the science, falsely so-called, the experts, what, what must they be thinking behind closed doors at the very top tier of the government in Australia as he comes back a year after he was banned and wins the tournament and then says what he says there, this is my, my best victory yet. They should be hanging their heads in shame. These people that are imposing these, these draconian measures with respect to the lockdowns and then now imposing their will with respect to the drugs. Sam reminded me of the craziness going around when the vaccines were first rolled out. You had de Blasio and others eating burgers and French fries in front of the TV cameras, just stuffing themselves, saying, if you get the vaccine, you're going to get a free burger. You're going to get uh, free junk food. What a spectacle. And, and it's just happening in the Western world. How come you don't hear about it in uh, the third world? How come you don't, don't hear about it in sub-Saharan Africa or in South America, Southeast Asia, just these exploding cases of heart disease, heart attacks, myocarditis. It's just happening in our nations, brought to you by Pfizer, brought to you by Moderna. It shows what, again, if you're, like Djokovic said, if you're just standing with one person who's on the side of the truth, you know, still, Make that principled stand. My father makes the point about courage, and again, this is a subject we have talked about at length on this show, but just how important it is as a virtue. He says this in Malachi's message, and you can order Malachi's message, by the way, if you call our operators today. The 800 number, if you live in the U.S., Canada, and the Caribbean, it's 1-866-930-3024. He says this in Malachi's message, It appears that the Joshua of Moses' time had one outstanding strength, spiritual courage. God was instructing him to use this quality, showing him how how much he would need it. It says in the Laodicean churches, that's the seventh and final church era that we're in right now, he says spiritual courage may be the greatest need. Without it, the other virtues are of little value. God's people can't cower in fear and still grow in love. Last year, Nadal, remember, said that, well, Djokovic knew the rules. He should have gotten the the jab. Well, Djokovic didn't cower in fear. He He stood up for his beliefs. He's a man of conviction. I'm sure he has weaknesses like we all do. But that's quite a display of courage to stand up to the world the way that he did. Good for him, good for his team, as he acknowledged there in those comments, those remarks. A week or two ago, I played you that, that clip from Kevin McCarthy 
when the mob descended upon him and says, hey, what's your comment on you're, you're kicking Ilhan Omar and uh, you're, uh, Adam Schiff? You're kicking him off the Intel Committee and Swalwell as well? And Kevin McCarthy returned fire. He returned fire. He said, this is why. He's not on the Intel community. He's a known liar. He's a proven liar, he said about Schiff. And then he said about Swalwell, he's compromised. He's in bed with the enemy, literally. So, and look at what that, I mean, I don't know if this is directly related to this, but Dana Bash yesterday, she's a left-wing journalist, far to the left, she has these three that have been kicked off the committees. Ilhan Omar, I'm only going to play you one clip, but really what she asked of all three of them, I mean, this is, prob this is probably Adam Schiff squirming like he's never squirmed before. I don't think these three expected to go in, in into the studio in the presence of Dana Bash and be hit this hard from a left-wing journalist. Listen to clip three. Ahead of the first Trump impeachment, you said the committee had not spoken to a whistleblower. In fact, that turned out not to be true. I should have been more clear. I should have been more clear, says Schiff. He's a liar. He's been exposed. And they're whining about getting kicked off the committees when they should have been. And I, I, again, I can't say it's directly connected to what Kevin McCarthy did, but it just shows you. I mean, a little bit of courage can be contagious. If someone speaks up, if someone takes a stand, this is why so many people were, were so enthusiastically supportive of Donald Trump. Back in 2015, back in 2016, when he was campaigning for president the first time around, he got up and he said things that, that no one else would say. And then when he got into the presidency, as you, as you well know, he did things that no one else did. And that's why the establishment hates him, because he is a man of conviction. For all of it, he's got his faults, for sure. He, he's wrong on the side with the vaccine, for one. But on a lot of stands, he's on the right side. This is from, uh, just moving ahead a bit in my notes, fellas. This is from AI.com. It says, they said he's not doing rallies, he's campaigning, maybe he's lost the step. That's what they're saying about Donald Trump. He hit the campaign trail this weekend. Many are calling it the... The, uh, the start of his, his run for president. He made the announcement back in November and, and hasn't been really out on the campaign trail that much since. But now he's back out. I think he was in New Hampshire and, and South Carolina. We don't have any clips. But there were people just writing him off. <laughs> like, like, well, yeah, he's kind of lost his mojo. He's, uh, you know, he's slowing down. He's not campaigning like he used to. All of the, the naysayers, all of the critics... They're a dime a dozen, but it was T Teddy Roosevelt who said the critics will come and go like bubbles in a stream, and then they'll just float downstream and disappear. It says here, Jerry McDonald, who worked on uh, Trump's 2006 campaign, rejected the idea that voters were ready to move on from the former president. Some of the media keep saying he's losing his support. No, he's not. He's losing his support. It's only, getting, it's only going to be greater than it was before because there are so many people who are angry about what's happening in Washington. Well, she could have added that there's a lot of people angry that the election was stolen as well. But here, here, here we are coming up to another presidential run, and you have the same old, same old 
people coming forward saying, well, he's got a little bit of uh, traction here, maybe some popularity over here. There's there's still some uh, some MAGA Republicans that really support Trump. But, you know, uh, in the bigger picture, he is finished. He's finished. Listen to John Kasich. Kasich. He's a he's a uh, he used to be on Fox News. He's a commentator that seems to I've never even seen him in the last couple of years, but he seems to emerge when Donald Trump uh, starts to uh, make his run again. This is clip seven. You know, he's he's well, I think he's fading. I've said that for a long time, but he's probably still has. I was talking to a friend of mine in New Hampshire yesterday, probably 25 to 30 percent support. He had a crowded field. He could come out of there. He could win. But he's never going to be president of the United States. Thank God he's not going to be that. Yeah, he's never going to be president. So uh, leave aside our literature for a moment. The fact that he would make that statement, that's all you need to know with respect to Donald Trump becoming president again. I think this man ran for president, did he not? A, a complete and total failure. Zero support from anywhere. And, and here he is on ABC saying, well, he may do well in New Hampshire or wherever, but he is not going to become president. Oh, thank, th I'm, I'm very thankful to say he's not going to become president. We could roll out the montages again of all the people that said that in 2016. They laughed at him. They ridiculed him. They mocked him. And then look at the never-ending attacks, the, the investigations, the persecutions, putting Trump supporters in jail even, inciting a riot, stealing an election. How many times have they said even in the last few months that he's finished? We've drawn attention to that at this show. Politico says, despite those surveys, Trump, the only declared candidate, consistently leads in national polls against a field of potential challengers. See, these are the one you just heard there, Kasich. He, uh, he's of the opinion, I don't know if he's ever stated it overtly, but if, even if Trump wins the nomination, he would, he would happily support, I'm sure, a radical left-wing communist just to keep Trump out, as long as it keeps Trump out of office. That's the way these never-Trumpers think. We need a president who's ready to hit the ground running. Trump said that over the weekend, and he told the audience, he told the people at the rally, I'm going to hit it running, believe me. New York Post says this, Trump slams DeSantis as he opens the 2024 run. Quotes Donald Trump saying, his political life was over. If he runs, that's fine. I'm way up in the polls, Trump said in South Carolina. He, uh, he's going to have to do what he wants to do, but he may run. I do think it would be a great act of disloyalty because, you know, I got him in. He had no chance. His political life was over. See, DeSantis knows this, and he's got the establishment. He's got the establishment urging him to run for president. It'll be interesting to see what he finally decides and when. We're not, there's quite a few announcements, I'm sure, coming up. I think all the challengers are kind of waiting for the first one to, to go up head-to-head -head against Trump. And then you'll probably see eight or nine of them join, the, join in the race. Sundance at Conservative Treehouse, he makes a pretty good point here. He says, I keep, I keep saying the 2024 GOP nom nomination is going to be fun because this is an epic Wall Street versus Main Street battle that needs to be done. The conniving Republican political class are openly wearing their anti-working class uniforms now, despite their efforts to remain hidden, and thanks entirely to their hubris, they are glowing. He's basically saying you're, you're beginning to see who's who in the Republican establishment party, or, or in the Republican party, whose establishment, whose, 
who's uh, Trump supporting. It says here, the primary contest in 2024 is going to be epic because this time the MAGA scruffnecks will, for the first time in years, clearly see who the enemy within the Republican ranks really are. They'll really see who's who. It says this makes them so much easier to defeat. And also explains why the professional managers behind Ron DeSantis are desperate to keep his alignment hidden. Pretty good stuff there from, uh, from Sundance. We'll see what happens in the primary. But I don't think Donald Trump is sweating over the thought of DeSantis or Pompeo or Haley or whoever it is that's going to be running up against him. I think his supporters are going to know, okay, we'll see. Now that, now that we've seen all that's happened since the steal in 2020 and the fake insurrection and all those things, and even, even the comments after the midterms, the fact that the red wave was gone and that Donald Trump, well, Mar-a-Lago, and then he's going off to prison and so on and so forth. He's, he's stood up against the establishment, Donald Trump. He's shown some courage, sh- some conviction. And in the end, he's going to pull a Novak Djokovic. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to email the show, you can reach us at tdatthetrumpet.com. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something, is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. They can de-escalate just fine when it's white citizens. We see that all the time. But it's when it's black and brown citizens, no matter if the police are black, Hispanic, or white, they seem to do the most. Things. Anyone who knows the history uh, of enslavement, anyone who knows the, the history of policing knows that black people can do anti-black things. But what we were also trying to bring into the conversation is the structural dimension 
uh, of of anti-black racism, the fact that the incentive structures that are set up in in policing are targeting uh, particular communities, black communities. One cannot imagine this happening in a well-heeled white community. All the officers being black, it takes race off the table. Do you agree with that? Uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, I think, uh, but I think uh, race is still on the table. This is among, if not the worst I've seen. I, I remember 32 years ago, I led marches around Rodney King. This is worse than Rodney King. Yeah. So is this a trend of some sort? Is this something that they do nightly? Now, Democrats, of course, want to run away from talk of abolishing the police or even defunding the police. That's way too radical, way too out there. But consider this. The Memphis Police Department's response to all this controversy and camera footage on Saturday was to announce that it was disbanding the specialized police unit whose officers inflicted that brutal assault on Tyree Nichols, the so-called Scorpion unit. Yeah, they defunded and abolished it. The five police officers who carried out that brutal assault, the footage, of course, was released Friday evening. Jason Whitlock, the black uh, sports commentator, said that the networks were hyping it like the Super Bowl. They just couldn't wait to see the brutal beating and then to come out with this commentary saying that it's white racism. The problem is the, the white establishment. The officers were black. The suspect was black. The, the poor kid, skinny kid, beaten to death. How they couldn't subdue him, these five officers, is Unbelievable. It's in a black community. I think Memphis is 60 to 65% black. The supervisor for the officers was black. The police chief was black. And of course, the problem, the problem is with white people. What are these people doing to their country? Taking an incident like this, and evidently the protesters aren't, aren't exactly biting on it. There have been some small protests, I guess, here and there. But it's certainly nothing like the summer of love in 2020. But that's what these talking heads want. One of these days, they're going to get what they want. They're going to get what they wish for. Here they are, just urging people to riot. They want race war. So many of them, they want it. They're calling for it. And even when the facts are against them, they they still get up there, just like the COVID woman, just like the vaccine woman, they get up there and say, oh, yeah, just so that you know, we're here to help you discover the truth. The common cold can cause all kinds of heart problems. You can't trust these people with anything. It's all about the agenda. Shame on these talking heads to use a tragic incident like this. Crump's there, of course, the famous attorney that rushes to these cases. And then the parents, they're there on camera. These things, they just don't happen when the suspect is white. It's only when it's a black suspect. These are rogue officers. They were fired immediately. They're probably going to prison. And by the way, speaking of crime in Memphis and what's sort of happened since the summer of 2020, this push to defund, as the last commentator said there, this push to handcuff the police. Memphis can't get enough police officers. And a lot of the ones they have are black. So what are some of the root causes of this? This kind of behavior, police officers, for example, that aren't trained well or that are rogue cops. Who would want to be a police officer? 
in this climate, well, in some cases, probably the, the, rogue, the rogue individuals would happily join forces with some others and beat a, a, a suspect to death. Who knows what happened before they started the, uh, the body cam footage? Seems like there was some kind of a, a bad blood between these officers and the suspect. But they beat him to death. They beat him to death. And this is your takeaway. Two messages coming from the talking heads. The problem is white people and the problem is the police. So we need to just dismantle these, poli these special police forces like the Scorpions in Memphis. Just completely do away with it. Memphis is one of the most dangerous cities in the world. That's the truth. And so what are we going to do? Just disband these, these, yes, there's rogue cops. There's rogue cops in every police law enforcement organization. It just shows that this scourge of violence, it's spreading, isn't it? The prophet Ezekiel said, make a chain. Make a chain. We're just going to go from one bloody crime to the next. I won't play the clip. I have it. But the, the shooting in a synagogue in, uh, in Jerusalem, I think seven or eight were gunned down by a Palestinian. And then just all of the crime across our cities. My father talks about this quite a lot in Great Again. If you don't have this book, make sure you call our operators and request a free copy, 1-866-930-3024. This is from Great Again. It says, race is a highly charged subject in the United States. Past wrongs and present inequalities create fertile ground for hurt, frustration, and anger. This president, speaking of Obama, the booklet's a few years old, used every opportunity to reinforce the black community's sense of grievance. And that's what you heard there in that montage. Every opportunity, even when it's just crazy, even when the fact, now you can be sure, if one of these five police officers had even 5% Caucasian in them, I mean, there probably would be riots. Because they'd call him a white guy, just like they did with the, uh, the case in Florida years ago. They'd turn him into, but in this case, you can't. I mean, everybody involved is black. And to hear them go on and say, you know what? The takeaway from this is we need to rise up against the system. The system is white, and it needs to come down. It says here, practically everything his administration did when it intervened made the problems worse. Speaking of Obama... In this case, far worse. He came in. He was supposed to be the savior, right? He was supposed to bring the races together. But he, far from that. I mean, he drove them apart. And all of these talking heads, they're all Obama acolytes. I mean, they love them some Obama. And they're there with the message. Even when it's a, a, an incredible leap to try to insert whiteness into this story. That's how much they hate their country. That's how strong the self-hatred is. One last follow-up. This is this was this was a I think a release on Friday. It, it's basically a follow-on to the Twitter files number 15 as if you're keeping up with all of the numbers. I think we're into the jillions now. But uh, here we are. Number 15 basically we covered it on this show. The Twitter bots Sorry, the Russian bots that were supposedly uh, calling for, hey, we want that Nunes memo to see the light of day. Uh, and the, the Russian bots that supposedly helped Donald Trump win the election in 2016. Matt Taibbi had an update 
um, on the, the 15th batch of the Twitter files. This is from our in-brief on uh, Friday afternoon. Uh, it says, investigative journalist Taibi released another 43-tweet thread on January 27th exposing how former Federal Bureau of Investigation agent Clint Watts and the Alliance for Securing Democracy falsely accused hundreds of conservative-leaning Twitter accounts of being Russian bots. Clint Watts, who is he? Well, he really didn't surface until 2017, the first year of Donald Trump's presidency. And he appears before this hearing. You'll see it in the montage here in just a second. Before this hearing, he's pretty much a Middle East expert, I guess. But all of a sudden, Clint Watts is an expert in Russian bots and how the Russians were using bots to attack the United States. It's, it's comical. If it wasn't so serious, it would make for high comedy. It says here, still the corruption it exposes is even more shocking than the January 13 revelation that represent, Representative Adam Schiff sent repeated requests to Twitter for, for bans of people critical of his office. It shows that after Clint Watts and the Alliance for Securing, Securing Democracy established a digital dashboard, this was called Hamilton 68, this dashboard, and basically, they put all of these accusations on the dashboard that, oh, that's Russian bot, these Russian, th that's Russian bots over here. And they were all just conservative Twitter pages or conservative sites. So they were trying to, wor again, work with social media, big tech, to ban these conservatives, accusing the conservatives. See, they accused John Donald Trump of being a Russian asset. And so were all these other conservatives. It's such a worn out and tired <laughs> hoax, isn't it? And it just, it never goes away. It never goes away, it says here. They established a digital dashboard claiming to track Russian influence on social media. Twitter's global head of trust and safety sent an internal email admitting that accounts flagged by the Hamilton 68 dashboard were neither strongly Russian nor strongly bots. They're just right-leaning users. Even Twitter, before Elon Musk, said that this guy was just spreading disinformation. And yet, he goes before a House hearing, I think it is, in March of 2017. Then he starts making the rounds on all the talk shows. And then he, he becomes a paid contributor to MSNBC, this Clint Watts. Listen to him. So serious. Serious reporting about the Russian attack on the United States. And this goes on. This montage covers, I'm sure, a period of years, years. And he's just been exposed as a complete and total fraud. This is clip eight. I can tell you right now today, gray outlets that are Soviet pushing accounts tweet at President Trump during high volumes when they know he's online and they push conspiracy theories. What they want to do is use information as a weapon of warfare to undermine U.S. democracy. And so what they do is they create automated technology, commonly referred to as bots, to create what look like armies of Americans. Trump got elected and Putin helped Trump get elected. Uh, it's, he creates his own you know, reality, essentially. And I'm not saying that Russia instructed him to do this, but this is kind of how it works in Russia. You Nearly two years ago, former FBI agent Clint Watts went before Congress to describe the Trump administration's suspicious practice of parroting Russian propaganda during the 2016 campaign. The president, the, the candidate, the president-elect, and the president is consistently citing what is only coming out of the Kremlin, and you know that from a foreign intelligence aspect. And at the same point, he can't stop asking you about Russia. And it was interesting to see the president essentially advocating for Russia at the G7. Uh, this isn't unusual. We've seen him uh, essentially 
take sides with Russia against our own intelligence community and against. So when we look back now over the last four to five years, let's just look at what Putin did. We often talk about 9-11 or we talk about uh, Pearl Harbor, these significant events. He interfered in our election. He helped elevate a candidate of his choosing. It, it will ultimately go down historically is one of the biggest defeats uh, of America, particularly in terms of the intelligence business. And now Clint, you're the very person I want to talk to about all of this. Russia is running the same playbook that they did in 2016, and they're doing it in 2020. Russia very much sees Trump's victory in election as good to their uh, long-term interests and a Biden victory as negative to their interests. You could actually just read overt Russian state news and know that they want President Trump reelected. Yeah, it's just consistent with President Trump constantly providing cover for Vladimir Putin. It's been consistent before he was elected, since he's been elected, and I'm guessing post uh, post his term. There's your deep state echo chamber. Goes off and creates some, <laughs> some, some watchdog group, and then there's the dashboard. He starts saying it's all Russian bots. Then he goes and he's testifying. Now all of a sudden he's an expert. Then he's on all of the news shows, and he's a, he's a total fraud. He's a professional liar. He's an election denier. He denies the results of the 2016 election. This is what number six, the sixth tweet in the, the batch released on Friday. It says, the dashboard was headed by former FBI counterintelligence official and current MSNBC contributor Clint Watts and funded by neoliberal think tank, the Alliance for Securing Democracy. They're, they really and truly are living within an echo chamber. It's no problem for them to create an expert out of one of their own. And then he's, he's treated, look at all of those talking heads that interviewed him. They, they treat him like he, he knows everything, like he's an expert. And he's not an expert at all. He's a liar. He's a liar and an election denier. How about that? Listen to Matt Taibbi over the weekend commenting on this latest batch that sort of supplements number 15, clip four. I think these stories about Russian bots influencing this or that politician had an enormous cultural and political impact over a course of years in America. And uh, although t uh, conservatives were definitely targeted, and in fact, Twitter employees talked about that, how uh, this was a, a site that would take ordinary uh, uh, conversations between conservatives and accuse them of being Russians. You can see that in my thread. Uh, but it also affected Democrats like Tulsi Gabbard and uh, Bernie, Bernie Sanders. Uh, so this was, uh, this was a site that basically went after people, who, anybody who was a critic of the Democratic Party, be it on the left or right. And we see that in the composition of the list, which also includes uh, people like the editor of Consortium, which is a progressive magazine. So there's Matt Taibbi uh, explaining the significance of the, these latest revelations in the, in the Twitter files. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. We're going to try to draw some more attention to that montage that uh, Sam and the guys created uh, of Clint Watts. When we come back, we'll take a short break and we'll finish today's show with our Bible study segment. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. The Armstrong College Bible Correspondence Course is a distance learning program that makes the Bible clear and understandable. The Correspondence Course enables enrollees to learn what the Bible itself says about subjects that affect you and the world you live in. 
This fascinating Bible course highlights and proves what the Bible says about morality, war, religion, terrorism, and other current events, focusing on the root causes of this world's many problems facing man, as well as their solutions. The Bible and this course also focuses on the reason mankind was created in the first place, the way to happiness, accomplishment, and fulfillment, as well as the truth behind important doctrinal questions, such as what happens after we die, the nature of God, the resurrection, the millennium, and other critical subjects. Enroll today in the Herbert W. Armstrong Bible Correspondence Course. Email your request to td at kpcg.fm or visit thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. Jesus said in John chapter 5, he said about himself, I can of my own self do nothing. Here, here, here was the Son of God who relied totally on God for everything. He looked to God in faith. He trusted God. He trusted in God's power. My father said in a message a few years back, he said, there's nothing we can do. We're helpless. And then he quotes what Christ said in John 5. Following that, he said, if we're going to be powerful in doing God's work, it's going to come from God's Spirit. It has to come from God's Spirit. And what a power that is. We've been spending quite a lot of time uh, in our Epistles of Paul class right now because we're going through Romans, just talking about some of these subjects like faith and the power of God's Spirit. And as Satan's attacks intensify, I mean, as I said in the last segment, I mean, Jason Whitlock hit the nail on the head. Here are all these, these members of the news media, the legacy media, just hyping footage of a, of a beating, hoping, hoping and hoping that it would trigger race wars, that it would trigger riots. I mean, this, these are the days we're living in. And as attacks from the devil intensify, God's people are going to need to be relying on the power of God, walking by the faith of Christ, putting trust in God for deliverance, for miraculous help in time of need. Let me read to you what it says in John 14. Verse 5 begins, Thomas says unto him, Lord, we know not whether you're uh, gospel, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by uh, me. And if you know about Thomas, of course, he doubted. He just wanted another sign. This is the way human beings have been. They don't, <laughs> the word of God is not enough. They want, they want one more sign, one more miracle, before they'll finally commit to the truth of God, before they'll finally pursue becoming a true Christian. Human nature is so strong. It's so, it's so strong in the wrong direction. I was going to say it's weak, because it is weak. When you rely on yourself, I mean, that's relying on weakness. Those pulls against the flesh... They're so strong, those pulls of the flesh, I should say. People will rely upon just about anything, any power, any aid, any support, except for the great creator God, the God of power, 
the God of mighty power. Verse 8 says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you? And yet have you not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how you say then, show us the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen how God operates and thinks and behaves. Jesus was a chip off the old block. I mean, he, he didn't come to try to be original, to try to kind of break free from God the Father and, and sort of create his own identity. He just came to do the works of his Father in heaven. He came to carry out God's will. Verse 10 says, Believe you not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he doeth the works. God performed all of the supernatural works. He provided all of the power that Christ relied upon. This is what kept Christ so positive and hopeful and focused even during sore trials even. Verse 11, it says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe, believe me for the very work's sake. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works. What a promise. What an assurance. Greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. You see, we not only have the power of God that we can draw strength from, but we've got Christ, our Advocate. We've got Christ, our high priest. We've got Christ, our intercessor. My father's made the point before how that God gives us a lot of help. He provides us with a lot of encouragement through Jesus Christ by the power of God's Spirit. There is a source of power there, but we've got to go get it. We've got to go after it. We've got to be diligent seekers of God's way of life. But think of it, to have greater works for God to perform greater works through us than he did Jesus Christ? Well, these are the last days. And God's work, God's work is, is a wondrous work, a marvelous work, a miraculous work. It had a mustard seed beginning, as Herbert Armstrong so often said, but look at where it was at the end of it all, at the end of Mr. Armstrong's physical life, that is. And look at what's happened in the 30-some years since the PCG started with next to nothing. It's a great miracle. It says in verse 13, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. What a promise. What an assurance. How's that for really strengthening our convictions? for really encouraging us to make a strong and principled stand, to make a courageous stand for God, to be the cause of good things, like Joshua of old, to cause the people of Israel to receive blessings and prosperity because of his righteous leadership. Page 31 of the Plain Truth About Healing, it says, Yes, even as you and I may be... G as you and I may be, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, God's dynamic supernatural power. This power of God Almighty, the Creator, was literally in Jesus, and the same identical power of the same identical living God may be within you today. We have access to the same power. We just, we've just got to believe, and we've just got to go to God 
with, with fervency, with diligence, as I say, to receive of that power. You can ask God for that power. I think that's in Luke 11. Then there's the verse in Romans 10. Romans 10 and verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we need to fill up on, on spiritual food through Bible study. I covered this with you last week. Fill up on it and be reminded, as Paul tried to remind the brethren in Rome, about Abraham, the example of Abraham, and then his wife, and, and Rebecca, and Isaac, and, and then uh, Jacob and Esau, and he just went through that history, and, and you see in all of that history, in all those inspiring accounts, you see faith, you see obedience, you see a great example. Of course, the most perfect example we have is Jesus himself, and the Bible says to follow in his steps to follow the steps of Jesus Christ. Mr. Armstrong asked this. He says, do you today have the same power the original Christians had? They were just as human as you. The real question then is this. Do you yield yourself as fully? Surrender your will as unconditionally to God? Pray as often, as earnestly, and intensively as they? It says, if you do, you will be filled with as much of the divine power as they, for God is no respecter of persons. You can read about that in, in Romans 2. God is not a respecter of persons. He's a respecter of faith. And if we put our faith, our trust, our reliance upon God and faithfully obey his laws and commands, God will empower you. And as I was saying a moment ago, I mean, given the times that we're in, as the attacks from the devil intensify, we're going to need to rely all the more on the mighty power of God. As I said earlier, you can request, well, the healing booklet I just quoted from, you can request that from our operators. I also mentioned Great Again on today's show, Malachi's Message. I think that's somewhere on the, the stack here. All of those books we offer free of charge, without cost or obligation. Just call our operators, 1-866-930-3024. And make sure, too, that you subscribe to our monthly magazine, The Trumpet. The monthly magazine, the website, of course, has a lot of the same content, but you need that magazine coming into your mailbox every single month. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow.